certainly the, the beginning of a poetry practice for me is this kind of self-exploration. It's just a willingness to show up every day with a blank page and see what's here, what's here now, what's here now. I always think of the poem as a as a conversation with what's happening in the inner world, the world of feelings and emotions and ideas, concepts, and what's happening in the outer world, whatever sensory is happening out there, things we taste, touch, see, feel, and events like an election or like a death or like a birth. or So So it's the chance then for poetry is a chance for these two worlds to come together. I feel like it's the bridge between them. Welcome, everybody, to Mind Rolling, and this is Raghu with uh, an old friend who we haven't chatted with in in a couple of years, right? Rosemary, welcome. It's been a couple of years. Word Thank woman you. Rosemary. I'm happy to be back. Thank and you. It, yeah, and I'm happy to do this because uh, for me... And, and um, as you might imagine, everybody, and if you can't, don't remember Rosemary from a couple of years ago, which I wouldn't blame you uh, because there's so many podcasts out there. Um, uh, Rosemary is a wonderful poet and does something uh, on an everyday basis. You can uh, sign up and get a, a poem a day. I've been doing this with, I mean, I've been getting them for a couple of years since we first met. And they're just absolutely um, not just beautiful and well done in in terms of syntax and and so on, but um, open-hearted and revealing is what I would say. So, yeah, they're just uh, terrific. Uh, And so everybody out there, we are doing this podcast in the midst of the 2022 midterms, which just took place mm-hmm. actually yesterday, Tuesday the 8th. And uh, we don't really know what's happened yet, apparently. And mm-hmm. uh, But you gave us a wonderful... I want to read this. So, folks, uh, you know, I'm hoping if you are not somebody that has read much poetry or or somebody that appreciates it uh, in any way, uh, I think you'll change your mind uh, during this podcast, okay? Because we've got just... uh, There's a way in which poetry reveals, whereas prose does not, because it's so... It's a little bit... It's like polarization, prose sometimes. There's a me and there's a you. And we're going to talk to you in a certain kind of way. That's why a lot of self-help books are, are very much, unfortunately, like that. Um, yeah, what's, what, before I even, I, so Rosemary wrote a beautiful poem from, uh, really addresses uh, last night, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, but poetry, yeah, what what is it that actually, I don't know if we talked about this a couple of years ago, but it doesn't matter. What is it that actually turned you on as a way to communicate, not just to others, but to yourself, is what I hear. Oh, yeah. I'm glad you made that distinction, Raghu. So the 
certainly the the beginning of a poetry practice for me is this kind of self-exploration. It's just a willingness to show up every day with a blank page and see what's here, what's here now, what's here now. I always think of the poem as a as a conversation with what's happening in the inner world, the world of feelings and emotions and ideas, concepts, and what's happening in the outer world, whatever sensory is happening out there, things we taste, touch, see, feel, and events like an election or like a death or like a birth. or So So it's the chance then for poetry is a chance for these two worlds to come together. I feel like it's the bridge between them. And um, so it starts as this kind of curiosity. What is it? What does it mean to be alive in this minute, in this minute, in this minute? And that's that's how I always feel like the, the poem starts, which I think you're right, that it's not... Um, I'm not trying to tell anybody else how to think. <laughs> it's not a mm-hmm. it's not a self-help. <laughs> it's not a self-help endeavor to to put out there in the world, but it is very much a, a authentic exploration on my part of what mm-hmm. does it mean to be alive. Yeah. Yeah, very much. So here's the poem on election night, Thanos grabs some popcorn. Who's Thanos? Oh, if you haven't watched the Marvel movies um, in the MCU, uh, he is the big villain. He's this giant purple dude who does destroy the whole world. Well, it's not true. He he kills, he takes away, eliminates half of the population just by snapping his fingers. Oh. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that's a great uh, metaphor. Um, <laughs> you do need to know that to read the yeah, poem. Yeah, I'm not a big Marvel guy. Well, I used to be, actually, when I was a kid. I love Marvel comics, the yeah. Silver Surfer in particular. On election night, Thanos grabs some popcorn, adds extra butter, gets cozy in his sweatpants and sits on his throne of stone, feels no urge to snap. He knows he need not do anything but watch as humanity destroys itself with righteousness, with blame. He chuckles as he follows the polls, the news, how the humans cry. They shout, they attack. What's a villain to do but sit back and enjoy? (laughs) He sips Jack and Coke, keeps an eye on the cosmos. If there is a song of peace rising in the hearts of some, he doesn't hear it beneath the scowling, the jeers. But I hear peace swelling as if it is necessary, inevitable. In fact, I am singing it the way a star sings hidden inside an apple. And I am not alone. Okay, that pretty much says it all. And... Uh, and I am not alone. You know, that's the, that's the, uh, really the great finale of this particular poem and meant the most to me when, when I read it, I, I understood that even though I didn't know what Thanos was really, because I'm not following Marvel much these days, but I knew it was a bad guy and we got some real bad guys going on. Or as Ramdas would put it, I feel sorry for their incarnation. Actually, <laughs> that's a generous way to say it. That's the way yeah. he said it, and then he'd put pictures of Trump and any you know over the decades, all of the kind of people who um, maybe don't have much of a song of peace rising in their hearts, mm. and 
and he would honor the soul, but uh, he would pray for the incarnation. And uh, yeah, that was great. That, Thanks, friend. It was it was deeply helpful to me last night as I was watching what was happening in our country and. I know I'm not alone. I know that there are a lot of us who who are devoted to peace, no matter what happens. Mm-hmm. In, and in every case, we're devoted to peace. I, I know that's true. Yeah. And uh, I compl- obviously agree and think that we have to dedicate ourselves more to spreading that news mm-hmm. um and and that's that sounds almost like a f- fundamentalist kind of thing um uh, basically i think we need to devote more time to um opening our hearts up even to people like this and that is of course uh, uh, the most difficult of tasks almost impossible and uh, we are wired for separation once mm-hmm. we go through, once, you know, however uh, early in, in our incarnation we understand we have a name so we're separate. And that just gets developed to the point where it's very difficult to embrace uh, the um, feelings of, quote unquote, the other side. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but that's really the work. And I'm, and I'm, I'm impossible as far as, I mean, I look at myself and I see how impossible I am with the kind of condescending thoughts and, you know, just denigrating the intelligence of people and so on. I mean, I am, you know, this is something really, really that I need to, to work on. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Yeah. Well, I, you know, there's something fabulous about poetry, really, that um, that touches this, I think. And that is poetry's willingness to dance with paradox. Uh, in fact, it, it's probably one of poetry's favorite playgrounds is to, to see how two impossibilities can be equally true, right? Which helps me all the time, you know, to meet that on a page helps me to meet it in the real world. Uh, I'm thinking about, you know... Even this very, very old poem by Catullus, you know, one of the first poems that we have a record of. And, uh, you know, he, he starts off, I hate Odiet Amo. I hate and I love. Why do I do this? He asks. I don't know. But it's excruciating, you know, but but he touches on that, that bit of how at the same time we hate and we love, at the same time, you know, we're separated and we're a thousand percent one. And I, I do love the way that a poem is an invitation to meet these oppositions and and look at them both, meet them both at the same time. Oh, friend, I can't hear you. You're on mute. Sorry, going to have to edit there. I, I was, I had the garbage truck going by. Um, but yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I, I mean, it's a 
for me, it's a breath of fresh air, you know, meeting those paradoxes and, and, and everything else that you just mentioned is a breath of fresh air because we are so stuck in the solidity of separation and polarization. Mm. Mm-hmm. And so to me that, you know, that's one of the, th- I thought, wow, this would be great. We should get back together. We haven't seen each other in a while, but also, uh, to address, uh, what we are all going through. And as this poem does address it in, in the most, uh, sublime way, really, uh, is the kind of thing I think we all need to loosen up the grip that polarization has on us. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm thinking now then of, of Rumi, um, Jalaluddin Muhammad Rumi, who says, the hurt you embrace becomes joy. Call it to your arms where it can change. Right? So there it is again, those, mm. those paradoxes, the hurt and the joy and how it is that we transform it by call it to your arms he says what an what a crazy idea and yet and yet this is this is the practice right this is the practice yeah every one of the podcasts that i do with whoever i do them with always end up there is a practice you do practice. You can't play baseball well without practicing your batting and pitching. That's it. And, that's it. Uh, yeah, and that's a, it's a tough thing because we are so busy, our lives are so busy, but if without nourishing that part of ourselves that is connected to um, uh, commitment to go beyond the us and them basically mm-hmm. without that very difficult yeah, mm-hmm. i mean that inspiration's got to be there for all of us and and hope and that's mm-hmm. another reason you know uh, related to poetry uh why it's it's so important and uh it 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 can be a big part of nourishing that part of ourselves mm-hmm. um so you have a po- i'm going to read you something that I found that relates to a poem that you wrote. Um, and it's by Brother David Stendhal Russ. Mm-hmm. Do you know Brother mm-hmm. David? I'd, well, I, mean, I, know I certainly of him. know yeah. of him. Yes. Yeah. He's, yes. I, I believe he's still alive. He's, yes, he's he like in his late 90s, I think, at mm-hmm. this point. Ramdas interviewed him at, at one point. I happened to be looking at the other day. It was really, he's phenomenal. But he wrote uh, Meaning in Silence. The notion of listening to the word, quote unquote, is so fundamental to our Western concept of meaning that we must almost leap over our own shadow to realize the possibility of finding meaning, not primarily in word, but in silence. Mm. And yet there's a whole vast tradition of spirituality in which meaning hinges not on the word, but on silence, just as the Judeo-Christian Islamic tradition of spirituality is contained as in a seed in the one insight that, quote-unquote, God speaks. So the key intuition of Buddhism is summed up in the celebrated saying, I have heard the sound of no sound. Mm. There is no aspect of Buddhist spirituality in which this dictum will not shed light. So then 
Yeah, I mean, really we're well said. We're back to the paradox, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and then you wrote a poem, Ode to the Echo. You could read it too if you if you had it. Yeah, sure, I can yeah. find it. Sure. Yeah. yeah, find it. You should. Uh, I love reading poetry. I, that's another <laughs> uh, reason why I thought, well, this is great. They give me an opportunity to do that. You know, I I think that writing poems about silence is such a fun yeah, practice yeah, because yeah. it's it yeah. is necessarily paradoxical and and then to to know then also ragu that that poems are deeply dependent on silence just as song would be mm-hmm. too that yeah. that it is an interplay of course with as any kind of sound and the silence that create each other. So this uh, this one I wrote just this last weekend. I was leading a group of high school students at a retreat in Ohio. This is Ode to the Echo. Sister of silence, you give back to the world the shadow of every sound you are given. You reshape the air to unsharpen the shout. You unshrill the scream until it's quieter, quieter than nothing at all. There is no sound so harsh you can't soften it. And come song, you resing the melodies so beauty will linger like the rich shimmer inside a gong. Not once have you said your own words. Not once have you intoned your own tune. Not once have you heard your own voice or spoken your own truth. Not once have you lied. Not once have you made a promise you could not keep. Sometimes, when I'm brave, I try to echo you, which is to say, I let silence enter my inner walls, where it bounces in me like sound in a cave until all I hear is the resonant repeat of the most ancient of languages you speak. Silence, silence, silence. There is no part of me uneroded, no part your waves don't touch. Mm. So great, really wonderful. (laughs) It's fun to play around with odes, by the way, because... An ode is really just a praise poem for anything, yeah, anything right. at all. And and once you get started, you you realize that absolutely everything. You know, my friend John at that same retreat wrote an ode to his intestines. But you know, you can you can write, you can write an ode to an apple core or a, you know a pool table or to to democracy or you know everything lends itself to an ode. Yeah, absolutely. Well, before. Um... I mean, I, I, we talked a little bit before about, gee, we'll catch up in the podcast. So I know, uh, of course, uh, the trial that you have been through in the last, uh, I think it's year, year and a half. I'm not quite mm-hmm. sure, something like that. A little over a mm-hmm. year maybe, huh? So maybe you should share that because it informs much of uh, the poetry that has come out of you in, in that time, mm-hmm. and it's it's something that, uh, of course, many 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 people uh, have been encountering one way or the other, and that is grief. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So I, th- I, th- I think it might be helpful for you to share. Mm-hmm. Oh, thank you. Um, there, there isn't an easy way to say it, friend, but um, like many people in the last few years, I've been experiencing lots of loss, um, most particularly the death of my son back in August of 2021 when he chose to take his own life. Uh, just before his 17th birthday. And um, and two months after that, my father died. So it's been... Um, oh. You know, uh, Gregory Orr has a, has a poem that begins like this. Not to make loss beautiful but to make loss the place where beauty starts where the heart understands for the first time the nature of its journey and I think about those lines and how true they have been for me during this time that um, that there's been a I cannot see the the loss itself is beautiful, but there has been an enormous invitation to receive love and give love like I have never felt before, where the heart understands for the first time the nature mm-hmm. of its journey. And um, I'm that's the paradox we were speaking of earlier friend it's it's the greatest grief i have ever experienced and it is i have also been so inundated and transformed and buoyed by love that i'm in a state of almost constant astonishment about that Mm. at the same time at the same time yeah it makes it very difficult to know what to say when someone says how are you Mm. (laughs) oh well And what are, what talk about the the paradox? We we understand the grief. Talk about the moving, the transformation. Mm. Well, I will say this. Um, as you know, I from the day that he died for. Um, for seven weeks, I didn't write a poem. I, is it strange to say this? I think I'm very lucky that I had in place already a practice of showing up every day and paying attention so that when Finn died, I immediately had a, intention to feel all of it to meet it all i just wanted to show up and meet every single thing that came uh and you know people would say things like oh i would take away part of it for you if i could mm-hmm. and i would think i would never let you mm-hmm. this is i want i want to feel all of this i don't think that would have been possible without a practice that already in place of showing up and seeing what's here what's here what's here 
And also, by the way, uh, my spiritual teacher, Joy Sharp, I know that I'd been working with her already in satsang for over 10 years at that oh. point. And so to already have a practice of of asking who am I, you know, um, without a desire to find an answer, but to just continually meet it. So... Part of part of this process of meeting that grief and also being so crazily supported, um, I think, was those those first forty nine days of just just surviving, really, and um, and meeting every single moment as it came, whatever that looked like. And not trying to do anything. In fact, at the time, I, I called it autonomic life. You know, like the same way that the that the heart beats and the and the lungs breathe, and and they're doing it all the time without any effort of our own. And I felt like I was being lived in that way, as if life was lifing in me without. And all I had to do was nothing. Was nothing. And I understood then in my nothing how much life was pushing through and how much love itself ragu was pushing through that, that it was it was so profound and i had this <clears throat> at the during this time i had a constant sense of being held it was very physical um like literally being held it lasted for months as if i had hands around my chest holding me tightly <laughs> at first it was very disconcerting and and then I remember after a couple of weeks one morning I woke up and it was gone and I was like it's gone uh, I, oh no like mm. I realized how it had helped me to have that sense of being held and um, and it came right back and it didn't leave for months <laughs> but there were there were all these very embodied ways of um feeling mm connected a feeling um supported a feeling loved and um and it it's informed me completely i i just feel like every cell got rewritten during during this time and mm -hmm. and in a way that has invited an openness and a compassion and even a willingness, maybe, Raghu, to meet paradox in a new way. Mm. One of the biggest shifts happened, actually, just before Finn died. He'd been, you know, obviously very upset and agitated for quite some time before he died. And um, and I remember writing a poem that was about, I want to hold it all. I want to be a vase big enough to hold it all. And then Joy, my teacher, said to me, are you sure you need to hold it all? And it was this beautiful moment of epiphany, right? Oh my God, no, I could just meet it. I could just be this porous sieve that that lets it all move through as opposed to trying to hold it. It was all that trying mm. that was the problem, mm. right? Mm. Luckily, that had already kind of started in me before this moment, you know, when Finn died so that... I felt maybe more capable of or practiced in maybe better what to say in meeting 
deep grief and incredible love at the same time without feeling like I needed to hold it, which sounds at the moment impossible. But to meet it, to nothing and let it meet me, really, to zero agency and just be met by the world, that's, um, it's been profound, friend. Mm. Wow. Well said, Rosemary. Here's a little quote from Ramdas that we can chat about right in the pocket here. I think the predicament with loving is the power of the addiction of the practice of loving somebody, of getting so caught in the relationship that you can't ever arrive at the essence of dwelling in love. Imagine that you are cut off in your heart from love so you feel hungry. What that hunger is, is the hunger to come home, to be at peace, to be feeling at one in the universe where lover and beloved merge. It's the place to feel fulfilled fully in the moment. Mm, That dwelling, what a beautiful word. Yeah. Being, yeah, rather than doing, you know, yeah. there's just like you were just talking about, it's happening. There's no trying. There's, you know, I mean, yes, we all do all of those things because either we want to protect ourselves or we want to fulfill the projection that we have. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, dwelling, essence of dwelling in love. Mm-hmm. Hmm. You know, I have, can I share a poem with you? Yeah. That kind of touches no, on this a little it. bit. No, don't do it. Don't do it. No, not a poem. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, maybe it's, it's speaking a little bit to that. It's called Condition. My body, thank you for carrying this ache. For carrying it not like a burden, but like a baby, like a gift like something that will change you and keep changing you forever. Of course, you would want to shut down, to close, to contract, but I see how the grief grows you. Though it shreds your sleep, though it drops you to the floor, you learn what it is to be a mother. Through no effort of your own, you are on board for a miracle. So big, this invitation to love. Oh, body, you would never ask for this, and yet you meet this grief every moment. You find inner doors you never knew were there, and you swing them open, not to rid yourself of the ache, but to grant it full access, to know the grief completely, to let it rewrite you, remake you, rebirth you, to let it teach you what it means to be alive. Mm. <laughs> Very great. Well, it's like what um, what you were just saying and Ramdas was saying, I think, you know, that mm, that dwelling and that and that mm. knowing that that in protecting ourselves that we um, we're cutting ourselves off. I guess I really understood that in in this last, you know, how how any effort I made to protect myself from the pain actually yeah. w- was destructive, was self-destructive. 
Yeah. Yeah. In fact, it and it hurt. That hurt mm-hmm. more than anything was tra- that attempt to the loss of being present hurt yeah. the most. Mm, that's mm-hmm. interesting. Wow. And people would say, you know, Rosemary, you don't have to feel it all the time, as if it was a problem. You know. Well, and I'm sure you also get, uh, especially because you're a public figure in that you're sharing your poetry with people and you're sharing that journey and you're sharing the grief. Mm-hmm. And many people, that is just prompting their own grief because everyone goes through this. I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. it's human. It's part of mm-hmm. our predicament. And then they push push it away somehow. I mean, I've seen me do it. Like, uh, and I'm talking about your, you know, I'll get a poem that addresses the grief and I'll just, uh, either I'll skim it or, you know, I'll do whatever. And I see what I'm doing and I, you know, of course I have all of the great, um, shall we say, uh, I know what the defense mechanisms are, but I'm not exactly uh, transforming them either, you know. I mean... (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're human. (laughs) Exactly. That's how it is. And that's how it is, yeah, right. And that's, you know, the great thing. I think, and of course, there are ways and spaces that it is safe and ways and spaces that it isn't, right? You know, I think I became very aware of that too in those first... Ironically, actually, in the first, it was, I realized it was exactly 40 weeks before I was able to really leave our house, which is surprisingly the, um, that's a, that's a, that's how long a pregnancy is, right? Like that's, it it basically stayed in the womb of my home Mm. Mm -hmm. before I could be rebirthed in the world. And I, I, I literally couldn't walk down the street. I was afraid to drive into town. I live in a very small town, you know, and, and it, it was, it, it, it was safe to be living my autonomic life in my own four walls and with the people who I chose, but it wasn't always safe to go to the grocery store, to go to a coffee shop. And yeah. Yeah. Actually, I have a do, I have a poem about that too. Would you mm-hmm. a poem mm-hmm. <laughs> um, called "The Naked Heart Goes Into Town"? <laughs> the heart walks down the street with its big brim hat, its sunglasses, its four chambers stepping up onto the curb. It hopes it doesn't run into anyone it knows. It's hard enough to keep pumping, pumping one hundred thousand times a day. That's all the heart can manage right now. No conversation, no small talk, no big talk. The heart has nothing to say. A heart is made to feel. And feel it does as it makes its way to the post office, stops at the crosswalk, feels it all. Feels the cool breeze that buffets it. Feels love for the scent of autumn, love for the low-glancing light. And it grieves for the loss of what it once pumped for. Grieves for the boy who still lives in its walls. Grieves for all who grieve, who weep. Oh, the heart. It feels so exposed as it stands at the door of the coffee shop. Wonders if it can go in. 
The other hearts in the coffee shop wear so much skin. The heart sniffs at the dark and bitter scent, remembers what it was like to go inside, sip a latte, talk about weather. It pounds against itself, walks on down the road. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I mean, we're not, sometimes it isn't safe to feel at all, right? It isn't. So we skim the poem so we don't go in the coffee shop. You know, we yeah. we do have to make choices too. Yeah, yeah. You know, the um, when you talked, we you've been talking about uh, trying and more of the the automatic nature of how it expresses itself in terms of transformation and, and all of it. And I, it's something came to my mind that I thought I would share then. I, uh, but I think it's appropriate. Uh, it's a little of a non sequitur, but I um, just, I have, we have a movie that we put out about a mentor of ours from back in the day when we were with the guru, Neem Karoli Bama. <clears throat> and he, uh, I was looking through to find some extra scenes for we're putting it up as a, a bonus that people can have alongside of the actual movie. And it was a story of uh, named Karoli Baba saying to this close devotee who was our mindfulness, he was appointed to take care of the Westerners. He was a, a high yogi who went into deep samadhi uh, uh, states, absorption states. And he was very close and he had no fear at all so he could say anything. You know, I was, when I was there, it was like, okay, well, you're going to kick me out now because I have these horrible <laughs> thoughts. Uh, so, yeah, he didn't, he didn't have... Anyhow, one day, Maharaji, who we called him that, said... What is this soham thing? What is it? People go around repeating it. Soham is a mantra, famous. I am that. So you are identifying with that which is. Beyond any kind of religion or any of that, you identify with that. And he said, soham, what is soham? People keep repeating this. They think I'm repeating this. What is this about? He's saying, because that's the way he used to talk to people with questions. Anyhow, at one point he said, here, close the door, come in the room. And he said, and he just said one word, see, twice, see. And this man, K.C. Tuari, went into a, a place where there was no Baba, there was no me, he said, there was no you, it was absolutely, I cannot describe, it was ineff the, ineffability, the ineffable experience, but all that was happening inside, outside, everywhere was soham. Mm. Soham. It was the fabric of the universe. Self-identify. And he, it. yeah, he got that experience. And, and then Maharaji would say, yeah, that's doing, trying to repeat this mantra to get it. It's already happening. 
for everyone <laughs> all the time. And and that to me was when you were describing that, you were describing exactly describing the experience of going through what you went through and um, the transformational process was a natural process. It wasn't something that one tries to do. So that uh, it takes me to the next uh, um, realization, which is all we got to do is trust that a little bit. Yeah. Wow. You know that, that word, friend, trust has never been more up for me than it has in the last, you know, year and mm. few months, yeah. you know, that um, I think of it constantly, actually. I think mm. of it constantly, the and that and, like you say, that there isn't any part of me that could have asked for uh, anything of these experiences, right? In fact, I would have rejected them had I been given the chance if somebody said, well, you can have this these, this experience of, of really understanding for a moment. You know, what was your phrase? So, 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 so hum, I so am hum. that. I Maybe, am you that. know, if for a moment I touched that and they said, and the price of that is your son, I would have said not a chance, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah. Uh, here. Here, let me read another poem. Mm -hmm. Uh let me see if I can find it real quick. It's it's about it's about this, about this longing I had to be opened and yet how I would never have ever. Here it is. Um so I have it starts with this memory I suppose of a, a time maybe eight, ten years ago when I was playing with my son and my daughter in a in the sand and I had taken some stones and I had written in the sand, open me. Which was, I think, a very authentic prayer at the time. I just, here we go, the prayers. When I asked the world to open me, I did not know the price. When I wrote that two-word prayer in the sand, I did not know loss was the key, devastation the hinge, trust was the dissolution of the idea of a door. When I asked the world to open me, I could never have said yes to what came next. Perhaps I imagined the waves knew only how to carry me. I did not imagine they would also pull me under. When I asked the world to open me, I had not imagined drowning was the way to reach the shore. The waves of sorrow dragged me down with their tides of unthinkable loss. The currents emptied my pockets and stripped me of my ideas. I was rolled and eroded and washed up on the sand like driftwood. Softened, I sprawled there and wept, astonished to still be alive. It is not easy to continue to pray this way. Open me. And yet, it is the truest prayer I know. The other truest prayer, though sometimes it frightens me, is thank you. Mm. 
I picked that one out too. You did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, there it is. There's the trust. Mm-hmm. There's the paradox. Mm. Um, and there's the. Uh, I don't know. As much as I really meant open me, I didn't mean. Yeah. This, right? Yeah. Yeah. That happens for people who just, uh, all of us who suddenly got the idea, wow, there is a way to transform and not be this self-centered being who believes everything they think. And and, uh, and uh, there, there is a way. And once there is that realization and one steps onto that path, because it, remember we talked about practice, it does take practice, uh, you know, at that point, you're going to encounter, there's much more um, awareness and mindfulness and you're going to encounter the vicissitudes of being human, no mm. matter what. Mm. So, yeah. Do you know, uh, I don't know if we talked about him last time, I don't know if I brought it up, Stephen Levine, do you know who Stephen Levine is? I know who he is, certainly in his work for sure. Yeah. So anyhow, because you're just, just, I happen to have some of his poetry. He's an amazing poetry, a poet, uh, as well as, of course, uh, uh, an amazing, uh, amazingly insightful person around death and dying. Mm. And he worked with Ram Dass for many, many, many years. Um, and yeah, here's one of his poems. We talked about Oh, prayer. good. Yeah. It's called If Prayer Would Do It. And so it's, it's really linked up to the poem you just read. If prayer would do it, I'd pray. If reading esteemed thinkers would do it, I'd be halfway through the patriarchs. If discourse would do it, I'd be sitting with his holiness every moment he has free. If contemplation would do it, I'd have translated the periodic table to hermit poems, converting matter to spirit. If even fighting would do it, I'd already be a black belt. If anything other than love could do it, I've done it already and left the hardest for last. Oh. <laughs> great. <laughs> that is a great poem. You know, it's interesting because, of course, I've, I've read it before, but... I can hear it very newly now. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Um, well, one more from him. Oh, good. It says, I sought myself unsuccessfully. And this is the human condition. I thought enlightenment was someone better inside me, but he was nowhere to be found. I called out to him. I bargained and made false promises, but I could not reach him because I was sick, so broken of self, I destroyed what I loved and turned away from that certain oneness. I thought surrender was defeat. To let go was to give up ground. I was a liar, once a thief, never easy in my mind, yet I longed so to know the origin of the grace on the lips of those who seem to love so well. Mm-hmm. 
he has a great playfulness to him in that poem. Yeah, yeah, he was he was great. I knew him. He was a wonderful, wonderful human. Oh boy, um, that's a a lot of amazing. <laughs> I haven't delved in the way we've just done for the last almost hour. Uh, just amazing. I I wanted to just I want to go back to one thing from Brother mm-hmm. David. Um, and I'll read this one. Uh, it's back to the word and silence because yeah. I I think if we all could get a little bit more comfortable in that place of silence, which relates to meditative practice and contemplation, um, I think that would uh, help us get on uh, the path without fear, without being a big doer, any of that just getting comfortable. What do the Quakers call that still small voice inside us? Mm. You know, that meditation Mm. that they do. So he said, Brother David, only by the tension between word and silence is meaning upheld. And in parentheses, he says, both word and silence are taken here in the most comprehensive sense as two dimensions of all reality. The moment we relax this tension meaning escapes us. The moment we break the tension, meaning is broken. So yeah, there's a paradox, right? Um, I'll say it again. The moment we relax this tension, meaning escapes us. That's intense. The moment we break the tension, meaning is broken. Failing to see the distinction between word and silence a distinction greater and more basic than any other would mean relaxing the tension, yet pushing the distinction to the point of separation would break the tension. The point is that silence and word are distinguished as well as united by a third dimension of meaning, that of understanding. Mm. Oh, that's beautiful. Really... um, very deep thinker, uh, Brother David. Mm-hmm. And I think I think it suggests something to us about um, being able to, I, I mean, this is what I got. I mean, one, one thing I got was certainly being able to be um, a wide open listener with other people and, and, and a person uh, uh, with the ability to pay attention. Simon, Simone Weil, I think, said that wonderful quote, uh, or had a wonderful quote, the, um, the most generous thing you can do for another human being is pay attention. Mm-hmm. So this, that link, the, uh, I mean, I really got out of that, again, more towards going towards how do we cut through the polarization, which is such a big theme in our lives, yeah. more and more and more these days. And I think, you know, this thing between, you know, the play between the word and the silence, I think is a big deal. It's a big deal. And I love this phrase you just used, being a wide open listener. To be a wide open listener. I mean, really, that's that's the real invitation of any poem, right? More than finding your voice. That's what people say. I need to find my voice. Actually... We need to be wide open listeners. That's what's really, I think, being asked of us is, right. is that. 
Can yeah. you how how widely can you listen? How openly can you listen? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is absolutely um, key, right? Absolutely key to this. I have to say, I'm not. <clears throat> I don't have a, a deep meditation, a silent meditation practice. Uh, you know, my cat uses my meditation cushion a lot more than I do. <laughs> but but there's a, a sweetness that happens when when we meet blank pages. And I think this happens for most of us, right? Where you meet a blank page and suddenly you're completely blank. And what's interesting to me is so often people think that's a problem, right? Like they're supposed to say something and they freak out a little bit, right? And I think to myself... Oh my God, you know, people pay tons of money for this to get totally blank, you know, and that's what happens most of the time when you sit down with a blank page is you get that exquisite, like <gasps> nothing moment. And I, it's actually something I love most of all about a blank page. Just that that's little. Medi- yeah, that's meditation. That, there, I mean, it's just the formality that people think they need to get into yes it's true if you can just step aside really it's step out of your day-to-day me meanness right mm-hmm. little guy mm-hmm. that i call it yeah. and and once you do that it does, whatever the form is for you it's a blank piece of paper there's no different than me going and and sitting and and you know just being in the moment being here now as somebody said uh, there's no difference there. There's no difference in saying a prayer. There's no difference in reciting a poem. I mean, all of it leads to the same place, which is to connect with that true part of ourselves, yeah. true meaning we are not caught in uh, you know, self-serving motivations all the time and polarizations and judgments, and we're not judging ourselves. We're not talking shit to ourselves, which we all do a hell of a lot of. Um, so that's, that's what it's about. You know, that's mm-hmm. what true yeah. meditation is. Again, uh, comes up, uh, my mentor, KC Tuari, who we did this film, Brilliant Disguise, uh, he says at one point, he's actually giving advice to somebody and telling him, yeah, no, it'd be good for you to meditate. But he goes, but meditation's not about power. It's not business. Meditation is a way of life. That to me was the most um, deeply connective to anybody idea Mm -hmm. of what meditation is. Because in the West, we're all trying to achieve stuff, you know, and it's very much, we're we're really programmed deeply there. So Mm -hmm. to, to realize meditation is writing a poem and being with it completely. Meditation is in, in saying a prayer but completely being with it in the moment, which is why then Ram Dass's "Be Here Now" is really right. He was right. It's really he was right. <laughs> he was right. <laughs> oh boy! Thank you so much, Rosemary. Rosemary Tromer, and uh, you're going to get links to her. You'll be able to. We're going to link to the what, the website where they can then sign up to get the poem every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can sign up right there at a hundredfallingveils.com. You can either. See the daily poems that post them there every day online, or you can no, I get have one. them come to your inbox. I, you can yes, do it either great. way. Yes, yeah, yes, either yes. way. So we'll have all those options in the show notes, everybody. And uh, yeah, they're just, uh, it's, you're pretty amazing, Rosemary, in terms of the volume, doing one every day. That's <laughs> it's a lot I mean, of poems, isn't it? 
It's like it's a uh, lot of I feel the same way doing a podcast every week, though. I'll tell you that. Yeah, huh? no, it's <laughs> showing up again, showing yeah, up yeah, again. Exactly, exactly, yeah. and that's what it's all about. So, thank you for sharing uh, the way that you do so transparently. It's really beautiful, and and wordsmith. Yes, yes, yes. It's just lovely. Okay, everybody, this is Mind Rolling, and we'll be back next week. Meanwhile, as I said before, you'll be able to link up with Rosemary uh, through the show notes and the links that we'll have there. And uh, we shall be back on Be Here Now Network. Go to BeHereNowNetwork.com. And I always say it, the plethora of amazing voices that are on this network, we are very proud of. So check it out. And we'll, again, we'll see you next week. Thank you, Rosemary. Thank you. 